1: Palm smells best In
2: the evening it's not Worth believing what you heard Soil and green, Really just a trip Hello once again. Welcome to I Was There Too. My name's Matt Gorley. This is the podcast where I talk to people who were there in the great scenes of cinema history, usually as an actor. But this episode and last episode, I'm talking to the wonderful Martin Casella, who was Steven Spielberg's very own assistant on Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was an actor on Poltergeist. But uh, the unique thing about this episode is that we get the perspective of someone working behind the scenes. This is one of my all-time favorite movies, so I still have every intention to cover this film with an actor that can tell us some of the acting stories. But in talking with Martin about Poltergeist, it was obvious that his time spent on Raiders was pretty significant. So we thought, hey, let's throw together a whole episode on that alone. It's a little bit more informal, but a lot a bit more fun. And it's the second part of what I'm calling a three-part Spielberg-ganza-palooza ending next episode with, uh, with the focus on just a little guy from another star. You should listen to the last episode if you haven't yet to kind of segue into this and then listen to this episode like you already are. And then listen to the next episode and you'll see how the three kind of tie together, not only in our conversation, but how these three films were really being developed at the same time and kind of fed off each other in certain ways with certain visits of screenwriters to sets and that sort of thing and how all of it is one big story. But enjoy today's interview where Martin provides some wonderful insight I didn't know, the origin of Marion's famous dress in the Cairo desert, Spielberg as a television fanatic, and stay tuned after that where my boon companion Jeremy Carter from the Super Ego podcast and many other things that we've done together joins me in a new segment called I Was Where Too, talking about the iconic and ever slightly changing Indiana Jones leather jacket and his own personal quest to find the perfect fit. Okay, let's talk about Raiders. God, I love this movie. I can watch this movie not only on constant loop, but sometimes I'll start a loop halfway through the viewing of one. I'll start the film and then put up a second TV and just start it over again right about the time Indy gets to Cairo. I start it over again, so I got two running. And that's absolutely a true story, even if it isn't. Enjoy! The film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The year, 1981. The role... Steven Spielberg's assistant, that assistant, Martin Casella. Well, this episode, we're doing something very special. If you haven't listened to the last episode, my guest was Martin Casella, who told me everything you ever wanted to know about Poltergeist. And then I knew that he was the assistant for Steven Spielberg and was present for much of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So the only question I had written down for that was this. Since you were Spielberg's assistant on the film, I don't have any specific questions other than give me all you got, tell me everything. And so I know that film like the back of my hand. I haven't done any preparation because we're recording this immediately after the Poltergeist episode. But you've been such a wonderful storyteller on Poltergeist. I have no doubt that you'll be able to tell us a bunch of fun stuff and then I'll just go off of what you say. So – Take it away, Martin. I'm well, excited about this.
0: After I worked on 1941, Steven produced a film called Used Cars with Bob <laughs> Zemeckis and Bob Gale.
2: Can I tell you a quick story? About that? Sure. Works. I was once a child, and we went on a family ski vacation, and I uh, didn't wear sunblock or sunglasses, and I got burned in the face really bad, it was like sunburn, and then got hit with a snowball, and I got snowblind for two days. And back at the lodge. We all watched that movie, but I only heard it because I couldn't open my eyes. And for years, I had only heard the film Used Cars. And one day it was on, and I went, well, how do I know this? How do I know this film? And then I was finally able to put visuals to what I had imagined. It was totally different in my head. It's, it's I love a, that movie.
0: It's a wonderful movie. Yeah. And um, so Kathy Kennedy was still with Steven, and they were getting ready to do this movie. And so I had a really fun time for a few weeks on Used Cars. And um, a few months actually, and then I got a phone call from Kathy saying, "Oh, hi, are you having a good time?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's a blast. Uh, it was just fantastic." And she goes, "Well, I already spoke to them, and we know you're finished shooting on Friday." I said, "Yeah," and we were in Tempe, Arizona. She said, "We start work on Raiders Monday morning at nine o'clock."
2: And she just says Raiders like it's anything. Like it's anything. You, you have no idea what this is. I have at no this idea point. what
0: she's talking about. And I'm like, "Well, I knew that Stephen was going to make a movie with George Lucas, and I knew." It was going to be big and it was going to be shot in England. And uh, so Kathy said, um, well, we had said, you know, you're going to be Stephen's assistant. And and are you OK? And I, I remember saying to Kathy, I said, OK, I worked for a year nonstop on 1941. Then I just worked three months on used cars in the desert in winter in uh, Arizona and now I'm starting Monday morning. I, 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 I And she said, well, you know, we have two other PAs at Lucasfilm.
2: Oh, she's threatening you.
0: Yeah, well, she wasn't really threatening me. I think she was just filling me in on the information. <laughs> let's 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 okay. leave it at that. <laughs> so um, she said, Marty, you know, we really want you to do this. I said, Kathy, I really, really want to do it. And I, I said, I'll be there. I'll be there. And I, I, I basically got back and I – Went to work on Monday morning at the – it was called the Egg Company. It was in what's now the North well, – not the North Hollywoods, the Universal City Red Stop on the Red Line, uh-huh. the stop. And that was a huge old beautiful movie. Uh, it was a movie, Offices. It was from the, I think the 1920s. And um, I walked in and they were all in the midst of getting ready to re- – it was – I want to say it was January maybe or mid-February. And they were all getting ready to release – I think did it come out in what two two thousand? The Empire Strikes Back, something. Oh, nineteen eighty. Yeah, nineteen eighty. Yeah. And yeah. so
2: that's right because uh, Indiana Jones is eighty one. Right? Yes, yeah.
0: exactly. So um, I walked in and it was literally like just being thrown into a. a, a, a I don't even. I can't even come up with a simile <laughs> or a metaphor. Um, and I walked in and you know, there was George Lucas and everybody in the production team from Raiders, the people that I sort of worked in. But I was with Steven and Kathy had an office here and I had an office there and it all just started. And we were – I was there for the beginning casting when I think everybody knows this story or anybody who knows Hollywood that Indiana Jones was originally going to be Tom Seller. right. And he was doing Magnum P.I. at the time. And I, I'm going to be shameless this time, okay? Please. So Kathy goes, oh, here. And this was before cell phones. The only way to do your job is finding pay phones and finding a place to park. And a lot of my job consisted of doing errands and running. And she said, oh, Tom Selleck lives over in West Los Angeles. Um, the scripts, no one's allowed to see the script. No one's allowed to read it. No one's allowed to do anything. Um, you have to sit in the car. Hand the script to him and say he has two hours, and then <laughs> you're waiting outside in Westwood, where he lives, and uh, there. So, and I remember, and Tom Selleck—it's a big, old, handsome guy. He's sure. like 6 four or something, insane like that. And he was, and he was a huge TV star. And I remember standing there, like, "Hi, Mr. Selleck. Here, I'm really sorry. You'll notice that because this is one of the other things we did. You stamp. Back then, we stamped every page." of each script with a, with a distinct number so that if it showed up somewhere, yeah. we would know who had done it. They do that like with watermarks yeah. now, I think. So, um, and Tom Selleck went, yeah, no problem, no problem. And I came back and, and then he had read it and, and I had to do that once with John Williams mm. who also lived over in. Did
2: Tom Selleck give you any indication whether he liked it or not? When yeah, he, handed he it back? yeah,
0: he, he did. Okay. He was really, really wanted to do I'm it. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and My recollection is I, of course, I didn't know everything because I wasn't in all the meetings, but he, CBS just wouldn't let him out of the contract to, to go shoot because it was a long shoot. It was like four and a half months and, um, lots and lots of retakes and re-edits and all sorts of things like that. So, um, we, I think George or somebody went, why don't we just use Harrison? (laughs) Okay. And I got to know Harrison Ford pretty well. He, and he lived up in, I don't know, somewhere up in Bel Air or somewhere and, and, um, and I remember taking scripts to him and running back and forth. And uh, and the big thing that was so interesting though was the search for Marion uh-huh. because literally every actress who was like within a 10 to 15-year age range came in to the A Company and auditioned. And the audition basically consisted of somebody, often Stephen, maybe Kathy, maybe Frank, somebody would make lunch and then the actress would sit there and – I don't remember anybody even auditioning. It was just who's this going to work. I mean – you name it. The, who's the woman that plays the replicant in Blade Runner? Sean, oh, Sean, Sean Young. Young. Yeah. She was there for days, and
2: she is notorious for leaving her mark on her audition stories. There are um, a million Sean Young yes. audition stories. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's all I'm going to
2: say. <laughs> are you sure? I can't coax anymore yes. out of you. No, oh, too uh, no. Bad. I'll it's... tell you
0: once the microphones are <laughs> oh. turned off. Um, yeah, you no, won't have been the first. I know, but this one I can't. Okay, because I, I'm. In case you can't tell from the previous one. Um, Stephen and Kathy and Frank were major people in my life. Um, They were unbelievably good to me and kind to me and still are. And that's all kind of legally I'm allowed to say.
2: Understood. So
0: um, they are wonderful, wonderful human beings. And plus my sister, my younger sister has worked for Stephen for the last 20 years. So, um, yeah. So – and Sean Young was there and then finally – they kept going back and forth, and this and that, and finally Karen Allen came in. I adore Karen Allen. I mean, how can you not? How can you not? And I think I, I'm trying to remember the movie that I knew her from. Anyway, she was great, and she and I got to be friends. And they finally cast her. And I mean, I, I can just give you sort of random things. Uh, one of the things I remember doing: Deborah Nadelman, who's the costumer, who was married to John Landis. Um, I had met her before because I. I think she did 1941. And um, so she did the costumes for Raiders. And I remember picking up Karen one day and taking her over to Paramount. And um, she did all her costume fittings. And when she got to the car, she was a little upset. And I said, I said what's wrong, Karen? And she said, she said, oh, I have to spend a lot of the movie like with my clothes, you know, like in tatters. And, or, and I think she said, I can't be 100% sure, but it was something like I really don't want to spend the rest of the movie in like my, my bra and panties and run around screaming. I just don't want to do that. This woman's an equal to Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah. And I I said, "Well, why don't you say something?" She's like, "Well, I'm so happy to have the role and I love it and Steven's great and George and everybody's so terrific." And I said, "Well, you're that's your role though. I mean, so that's how they came up with the idea. Apparently, she went back and spoke to Deborah Ullman and other people and that's how they gave, came up with that idea of It's kind of odd. You you're a Raiders fan. Um, why that guy gives her that beautiful right. wedding dress?
2: Interesting, yeah. yeah. Belloc, and, yeah. Like, Belloc, yeah. Belloc gives
0: her the that beautiful wedding dress, kind right. of out of the blue, and then she spends most of the rest of the movie having bits and pieces of it torn off. So but,
2: originally, she was going to just be in, her in captive some, clothes, like, that then get got, torn cap, away.
0: Like, I, I can't even remember. All I know huh. is she was upset when she got in the car, and she whatever they were going to put her in, she didn't like it. So she, that's you know, that's what she did. She said something, and um, it was. I'm, I'm saying in this, not in a pejorative way, the shoot was a real boys club, except yeah. for, except for Kathy Kennedy, who just is amazing. Yeah. She's the only person who I know that would ever tell Stephen no, <laughs> she would look at him and just go, no. And, and he'd go, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's why he's trusted her for 35 years. She's, she's brilliant, brilliant producer, instinctive. She's funny. And she's really wise, And, um, and, and, but Karen was like the only woman really cuz most of the cast is guys yeah the writer was a guy Stephen George the th- the three other producers from Lucasfilm were all guys and so Karen and I got to be friends and we hung out in England and um and they finally said to me you're going to come to England with us for 3 months uh-huh. and I'm an angle file. Uh-huh. and I'd been to England 3 times before that and I was in heaven and um it was just a great time and Those sets, people always look at me and go, what what did you do in England? And I said, most
2: of all of the interiors were gigantic sets. Was this Pinewood or Elstree? It was Elstree, Elstree. EMI
0: Elstree. And we were about 45 minutes away and we had drivers, Kathy and I, um, share an apartment. And it was before – it was uh, two or three years before she married Frank. And um, we shared this great apartment in in Kensington and the car would pick us up and then we'd stop by and pick Steven up. And I did things like – Back then, there was obviously no computers, no streaming, nothing. So we would have the TV Guide pouched to London (laughs) overnight, and then I would give Stephen the TV Guide, and Stephen would go through and circle all the shows he wanted to watch that he (laughs) wanted recorded. So we had two of the Lucasfilm PAs in Los Angeles recording all of these shows that Stephen wanted to watch. And then they would be pouched once a week because that's how Stephen relaxed. Oh my God. In the evening after shooting all day, cutting prepping for the next day, he'd watch Charlie's angels or something like <laughs> that. Cause he was a TV fanatic too. Yeah. And, and, and he was very sweet and we had a whole little thing worked out where he, he'd hand me the, it was like a spy movie. He'd yeah. hand me this TV guide and I'd tell, I'd sit at the telex machine. Anybody out there remember those? It's like, it's like if you had email in in uh, like in the Flintstones, the, this is the Flintstones version of email. You would type all these letters out on this giant computer, and then hit a button, and most of the time it would just stop and never send it. So we did that. We had a whole giant box that was specially made, a shipping box that had all Americans. Uh, A video equipment, a television to watch things, the video recorder, the player, um, and we got all the the plugs. And that was all – that's what I did. I was in charge when we left of the gigantic crate that had all of the um, American food in it that was all uh, stuff that Stephen could eat. In Africa because, as he said to me once, I'm the only one who can't
2: really get sick. I cannot and, and this, get sick. This uh, plays out later because he is the only one that he doesn't is get sick. He is the only one who did not get sick. On the he, famous day where Indy faces off against the Cairo swordsman. Yes. and they originally had a giant battle plan. Right? Yes, they had
0: a giant battle plan and Harrison felt so bad. He just said, can I just shoot him, please? And I got sick. I went swimming in the swimming pool when at the first location in, in Africa that we were in uh, beautiful It was beautiful. We were in Tunisia for a month, and um, I went swimming and that w- they had warned us don 't drink water don 't drink any water unless you know that the top was sealed um, don 't eat any salad. That was the one that, that was the one that got most people. They forgot they uh-huh. went oh it 's been washed and you 're like, yeah, with water uh-huh. so um, I kept my mouth open in the swimming pool when I was swimming. I choked once and uh-huh. my mouth open. And two days later, I was so sick. Um, they, I missed a week of work. They had to bring doctors in for me. Um, I had like a hundred and six temperature. I was, I was actually delirious in the in the hotel for three days. I didn't know where I was, and. Um, when that was over – and I was in a – was I wasn't in the big fancy hotel, the giant resort everybody else was in. I was in the Midnight Express, one light bulb, and the bed had no mattress on it. That was 30 miles away on, through the desert. And I was – that was – they were – I was in charge of the people that were there. So – and what happens, we do all the work. We'd shoot. We'd do all the work at the big, giant, fancy – the Sahara Palace. And so I remember they'd always – back when people would answer the phones, you know, it was like, Sahara Palace. And um, we would – we worked there and then I would get in my little Jeep, drive through the, the pitch black desert to the, the Midnight Express Hotel and, um, and I would hand out back when they had ma- uh, paper call sheets. So I would have to hand out at 11 o'clock that night all the call sheets to the rest of the crew and where they had to be the next morning. So that's where I was sick. For four or five days, I finally got well enough that they transferred me to the nice hotel. And this is this is an example of why I love Stephen and still do. And he, when I got there uh, to the hotel, he met me in the lobby and he put his arm around me and he said, you were this far away from us sending a private plane to yeah. send you back to London to a hospital in London. And I said, really? And he goes, you didn't even know who you were <laughs> for like three days. And they kept him appraised of what was going on. So um, it was incredible. That's all I have to say. It's the set with the the wing, whatever the wing is the, called, the, the, the flying the, wing. the flying wing, and where the Nazis are digging. That set was gigantic. It was almost, I think it was a mile wide. It was like a quarter, a half mile this way and a half mile that way. And I mean, they had hundreds of assistants, and everybody uh-huh. had walkie talkies. And I was it took me a long time to get better so basically at that point i got transferred back to the main headquarters which everybody else was in 110 degree heat um with doing gigantic special effects and really hot and all Stephen ever ate was canned soup that was from his big giant case of
2: soup uh, and he never got sick That's everyone amazing. else did speaking of that set with the big flying wing the pilot is played by, by Frank, Frank Marshall who you mentioned earlier and then I just realized – we mentioned him last episode and I called him Dr. Fantasy and I never even had you tell the story very briefly. That's his magician name, right? That's his he magician name. a practicing name. magician. He
0: was a practicing magician and on our, on our cast rap party in Tunisia – I don't think we – I don't even remember having a rap party in London but the rap party in Tunisia um, – They had a giant party with bands and this and that. And then Frank came out and did magic tricks.
2: Dr. Fantasy. Dr.
0: Fantasy. And we would had to run around and make sure we had all the things. Um, One of the stories that I actually told two months ago when we all found out that Melissa Matheson, who wrote uh, E.T., had passed away. And Stephen told this recently to the newspapers. It was a little homage that he had written to her. And um, we remember – it's basically the same, but it, his memory of it was a little different than mine. Uh-huh. Um, she came there to visit Harrison. Uh, she had written The Black Stallion, which was, a, was one of Stephen's favorite films. And Melissa was going out with Harrison Ford. And I, my recollection of it was she got to the fancy hotel. It was a, like our day off. She's, and they, we were all in the lobby greeting her, and I had said, oh, I saw the movie. It was fantastic. It's so nice to meet you. And Harrison's like, this is Melissa. And I picked up the luggage, and we all went upstairs, and we walked down a long hallway. And Stephen said, The Black Stallion is my, one of my favorite films. It's absolutely gorgeous. I've got this idea for a children's film. Um, I want to talk to you. It's about a little boy <laughs> and an alien. And they walked into the room, and Harrison took you the were luggage there for, for the me. Yes, of and ET. I was there oh when she said that to him. Well, I'd been there for the previous two years when they had worked on the the pre-ET version of the movie, which was called Watch the Skies, and uh, John Sales had written it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a perfect example of why it was the most fun job ever. Kathy Kennedy and I, I had a teacher who ran Filmex, which was the old fil- Los Angeles film exposition, uh, film festival. So a friend of mine had said, oh, this is a really good film. You need to see it. I was in the judging committee, and it was The Return of the Secaucus 7, which John Sales wrote and directed. So Kathy said, oh, I've heard it's really good. I'll come with you. So at the talkback afterwards in a little tiny room in Century City, somebody said, hey, what would you do? if Steven Spielberg came up to you and said, uh, gee, I really liked your movie. I want you to write a movie for me. And he goes, well, first I'd pick my jaw off the floor. You know, I'm a little independent. That movie only costs like $10,000. Blah, blah, blah. And Kathy looked at me and she started grinning. So when everybody else left him alone, she walked up and she took her card out and she said, hi, I'm Steven Spielberg's associate and um, we love your film and I want you to come in and meet with Steven. Oh and he, he was speechless. He said, are you kidding me because of what I said? And she said, and I looked at him and said, no, we both work for him, we're absolutely dead serious. We want you to come to Ambulance. To on Raiders, we got to spend uh, two months in London, and we shot the ball rolling, the snake, the giant snake pit. Um, yeah,
2: now there's a pane of glass separating that cobra from Harrison Ford, right? It is that, a pane of glass. How was that on the day? Well, that on the day, I'm not sure which version exists anymore, because
0: I was told that they've taken out when they shot it nobody saw it or something but there is uh, for a fraction of a second when the when the cobra or the asp whatever it is when the cobra rears up at Harrison and he goes mm-hmm. ah there's a slight kick and you can see that mm-hmm. there's glass there yeah. and apparently somebody told me that with CGI they've been I able hope to- not
2: because I love those little seams because as a kid I was able to fully suspend my disbelief and buy into that movie a 100% I knew it wasn't real but then the more I watched it because I, I just loved it so much and when I would see these tiny little seams, it made me feel so good because then I could go – now I, I've learned how that's done and it I just made yeah. me fall in love with the craft of filmmaking. Well,
0: one of the great things that happened on the set both in all three of the places where we were shooting was that, that the woman who's a script supervisor – an amazing woman named Pam Francis. She had been married to Freddie Francis, who was a famous cinematographer. And our cinematographer on Raiders was Douglas Slocum, who was also a brilliant, yeah. genius cinematographer. So they were all really tight. And I got – I knew Pam and we would always laugh. And, and she said once – I remember her going to Stephen and she went, this won't cut together. And Stephen said, what? And she goes, Stephen, nothing matches. <laughs> nothing in the movie matches. And he's like, if they're worried about that, we've lost them. Yeah. He said, it's fine. And I remember when I saw the movie uh, the first time at that screening, when Harrison and, and Karen are trapped in that well, and I think it's Belloc, he's looking down through a uh-huh. hole, and it's clearly a soundstage. Yeah. And, and, um, and you look sometimes, and sometimes there's a palm tree there. <laughs> and then, like, they'll cut away to Harrison, and then when they cut back, there's no palm tree. There's, like, a cloud. Not or- to
2: mention the fact that they have removed one square section of this, I don't know, stone ceiling. That physically could not be supported by other freestanding exactly. stone sections.
0: Well, my my favorite thing like that in the movie, which we all laughed when we read the script, which is here's that shot of Harrison with his whip, and he throws the whip around the uh, periscope yeah. of the submarine, and then on the map you see the submarine going like through the like the Mediterranean or yeah. the Atlantic Ocean, and I'm like. What? And all of us said,
2: but he's going to drown. He apparently does that. there were deleted scenes for that that, that I guess, yeah. covered that or yeah, something. Yeah, there was something yeah, yeah. in
0: yeah. there. But I mean, we, uh, <laughs> we I mean, there were so many great things when when they shot the opening in the school with the girls and the apple. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, is there still the joke in the film with the boy the boy who's equally as enamored with him. No. The, yeah, there was a great little gag that was in the original version, which was when the camera passed along, or, or maybe the boy leaves an apple.
2: He does. I, at the, the that's the end, what it is. The boy him. leaves it, yeah. and the boy leaves an apple yeah. too.
0: And the girl says, "It says I love you." It says love you now. Was love that
2: something you. in the script, or was that just on I the think day? Somebody just did that. Yeah. I think they just did
0: it. Well, that day we were shooting all those scenes. Kathy and I were in Stephen's trailer. Because that's when um, Poltergeist was starting to rev up. Uh. And Stephen had said to us, you guys, there's not enough room in here. You guys go and sit in the trailer and think about really cool things that we could put in Poltergeist. So Kathy and I sat there and we're like, well, we knew the wife had to take a shower or a bath at the end of the movie. And I remember Kathy going, what if she turned on the taps and and her eyes were closed? And she didn't see that it was blood. And I'm like, that's great. We were thinking of all those because we knew by then it was Toby Hooper. And uh-huh. he had, you know, Night of the Living Dead Texas or Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Massacre. Yeah. So, I mean, and the, I mean, the things, little stories, they're the things that stick out for me. Like, I don't know if anybody cares, but it's the stuff that happened to me. Like, Stephen turning to me one day and saying, I need a roast beef sandwich. <laughs> like, they have at Cantor's. And I'm like, this is England. i, I I'll go. And I would get in the car, and one day I drove around, and finally I got somebody, and they said, well, oh, you have to go to Golders Green, which is the part where a lot of the Jewish immigrants had moved to. And they said, well, there are delis there. Someone will make you a roast beef sandwich. So I went to the, the place, and Stephen had said, you know, if they're little, get me too. And I said, okay. Well, Stephen had no idea that a roast beef sandwich to English people in 1980 meant two giant pieces of bread and one slice <laughs> of roast beef. And, and I, the woman said, is that enough? And I went, no. Could you put a couple more on there? And she put a couple more and it kind of started to maybe look like an American sandwich. She ended up putting like 10 or 15 pieces because they sliced it so thinly that – and the sandwich cost $75 when I left. It was was one-to-one back then. And I remember the woman goes, I hate to do this, hon, but that's 70 pounds. And I went – and when I got back (laughs) – Stephen went, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what get I want. Get one for everybody. Yeah, get, go get one for everybody. And I re- all I remember, Kathy looking at the bill going, $75 <laughs> for – I said, that's, that's what he wanted. He told me to get it. Uh, so um, – but my job there basically was to keep him safe, keep Stephen always having plenty of food, if he needed anything, make sure that he had all the videotapes from America. <laughs> um, I love that
2: you're his entertainment and cuisine I was his, yes, director.
0: Yeah, I was, I was in. I was like the cruise director yeah. basically, and <laughs> and we did all sorts of things. And the funny part was in the end. I remember Stephen came to me and he was. They were, we were kind of joking about something, and he said, "Look, I know we're going to Hawaii next because that's where they shot the exteriors of, of the, the opening, of the opening, yeah. and the plane taking off." And um, he said, "Look, I know that." You're here for me, but there's this other guy, and he's been back for three months in Los Angeles, and he doesn't technically work for me, but he works for George, and he's a great guy. And I, I'd known him. We'd worked together for six months before we left, uh, Lewis, and, um, and he's a big producer somewhere now. I, I actually looked him up recently, and, uh, and Stephen said, we're going to take him for the shoot.
2: So you did London and Tunisia. I did and this London guy and Tunisia, did Hawaii. And he
0: did Hawaii. Lewis did Hawaii. Arguably yeah. you got the, uh, I, you got the better. Deal I got there. the better deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Tunisia was amazing. Right.
2: Now, were you there on that final sequence with the opening of the arc and yes. the face melting yes. and stuff? And well, so what kind sh- of process was that?
0: That was um, one of the really interesting things that fascinated me. I mean, a, this week in particular that we're taping this, there's all this hoopla about the 70 millimeter, oh, uh, hateful, eight. hateful eight. Well, Back then, they shot all of what were going to ultimately be called the process shots in some kind of incredible – whatever whatever Paramount's version of, of Panavision mm-hmm. was. They shot all the plates in this huge widescreen process of all the special effects so that when they did all those generational things later on and that they had – they were working from a perfect, huge, pristine I see. Uh, film, piece of film. And um, yeah, what they did was – I mean that was all in a set and they just and they those guys talk about we talked earlier about screaming and yelling and Poltergeist. those guys spent hours <laughs> grabbing their heads and screaming and moving their heads around and and then of course the ILM geniuses made all their heads explode yeah. later on and this nap and and the th- things shoot out of the arc and um, I'm trying to remember what else. We, we shot the drinking contest.
2: Oh, in Nepal. Um, in that,
0: Nepal. That yeah, was so all,
2: where was that? Was that all on a set? That was all one? on a set, set all, including
0: like walking through the snow up to no the door. Kidding. and go. Okay. That was all on a set in London. The ball – I was there when they did the ball. The ball was fantastic and they had to do that three or four times. And that was
2: in some ways actually very dangerous because even though it was paper mache it was still very heavy, It was still right?
0: very heavy and it came down that ramp um, and it was hard. And it was come down fast. Do
2: you remember how many takes of that?
0: I, thing? I remember a lot. I mean, I remember Harrison. <laughs> You're lucky. Yeah, time. Harrison got tired. He was. Really yeah. Was tired.
2: how was he on that? Was he a sport? I mean, was there? He a, was exhausted. I basically, he
0: was always a good sport. I have a picture that I took a personal photo of him in Africa, and he. I said, "Can I do this? I have a little five-year-old that's a little like a cousin that adores you from Star Wars," and he's like, "Yeah, sure." And yeah. he and it's this beautiful picture of him smiling, which. You don't see often of no, Harrison yeah. Ford, and he 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 was great. I mean, he was just he was in every shot most of the time, yeah. so he had to be.
2: And um, he had he just come off of Empire Strikes Back, yeah. straight to yeah. this. Yeah, he yeah. must have been. Exhausted. He was
0: exhausted, and before that, he had you know been doing Star Wars, and I'm sure between '77 and whatever, there was two or three other things that he had done. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you know.
2: was there th- now? Lucas is riding off the high of Star Wars still. Empire. Has yet to come out when you're filming yes. this, or it is out? Empire was out, yes. So Empire had come out. Things were good for them. They must have.
0: For George, they were. Uh-huh. For Stephen, he was coming off of the. I don't want to say ignominy because it actually made a lot of money. And now it's considered a cult classic, which is 1941.
2: Yeah, but at the time, it was critically. It a bit was of a-
0: critically a kind of a mess. And. Um, and in between there, Columbia had also spent a great deal of money on the the extra added material for the close encounters uh-huh. shoots, and um, so S- Paramount was happy to be working with these two, but at the same time,
2: people it was they
0: were careful.
2: And there wasn't were... there something like you basically have to bring this in for a, a yes. small amount of money yes. and a small amount of time, which he did. He went under. On he both, went under. Right, yes, really. he went under both. And was that budgets? just because he felt like he had to prove himself worthy after? I don't think those... it was so
0: worthy so much as you're only as good as your last movie. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to make sure that he was doing his job. I mean, they worked so hard to make sure. I mean, every single thing was storyboarded, yeah. and they wanted it done and out of there. And plus, I mean, now Stevens is known for making movies all over. You know, a lot in Germany and Poland and here and there. And but back then he didn't want to. Um, 1941 was made there. Uh, Close Encounters was made in America, so it was easily dealt with. But London, London in 1980. That was still a time when there was nothing open in the city of London on a Sunday uh-huh. unless you went to certain Pakistani or uh, Afghani areas where shops would be open on Sunday. But you couldn't – you could barely get food on Sunday <laughs> back in 1980.
2: I know because we did this all in one session, the Poltergeist and the uh, raiders. We've got to get you back to your car. I do, I yes. want to ask you one last thing about raiders and that. Was there any awareness of what they were making and how magical it would become or were they just like – we're just going to make a fun movie because that, that seems why it's so magical. But
0: I, Yeah, that's what it was. They the wanted sum to make, is
2: bigger than the parts somehow. Yeah.
0: They wanted to make a cereal, like a yeah. Saturday afternoon cereal, not so much for kids but I think for adults. They wanted it to be fun. They wanted it to have the breeziness that Star Wars had and um, – they wanted to, once again to make use a lot of special effects. I mean, I think that's part of one of the things that's so cool about the movie is the that just the joy of it um, and how fast it was. You think back yeah. when you, you said you saw it when you were probably a kid or something. I seven years old. Yeah. It's eight years old. Eight years old. And I saw it in the theater. Yeah, and and I have a close friend who showed her eight year old the movie recently, and he thought it was slow. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this
2: is too slow. That's unfortunately not surprising, but very sad.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, I, they didn't. I mean, there you have the script supervisor saying this isn't going to cut. Yeah. And um, and Michael Kahn, the multi award, you know, Oscar winning editor, was stuck away in a hotel for the whole three months yeah, in that'd London, be like
2: solving a crossword puzzle. That's exactly what he
0: was doing. And I remember we would back when we would you you know we would show the dailies every day, and we would just sit there for hours and hours of. a a German soldier going, no, move away. And that scene, for an hour, a guy going, move away. That didn't even end up in the movie. I mean, (laughs) I can quote you, Indy, throw me the idol. Whatever you're doing, Indy, do it faster. Because we would sit for hours and watch the same 30 seconds because it it would just be shot.
2: So going back to last episode, when you arrived for that screening and and Spielberg throws you the keys and says, you're in Poltergeist. Now let's go watch this screening. What were your initial thoughts on the screening when you saw it?
0: I was – Like over the moon. I just thought it was so wonderful. And it was also hard to watch because I kept remembering, oh, my God. Oh, oh, that's when I almost died, right? (laughs) They were shooting that that day or, oh, I missed that because they'd sent me off somewhere else to get something. And and I kept thinking of of Pam Francis pointing out the – the uh, the tree in one oh, scene yeah. through the whole of the well of souls, but in the next scene there's no tree there, <laughs> and so those are the kind of things you look for. But I remember being utterly exhilarated by the end. That makes sense. And there sense. was I remember in the screening room when there's that great beautiful shot, the Citizen Kane shot at the end of the uh, the gigantic crate. warehouse, yeah. the endless warehouse, and everybody in the theater just like gasped, and then they let out a whoop, and you just sort of knew. It was going to be great. That and all the,
2: along in that crate were Stephen's canned soup. That's right. That's what it was. It was canned soup and um what was, there was spaghettios. Some, spaghettios. Yep. That's exactly what it was.
0: Spaghettios and and, and, and a little burner that we had a little hot hot plate that he would cook on by himself.
2: <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um so before we go Tell us what you're doing very briefly right now. You've written numerous plays. Right, and, right. And uh, let us know where people can find you.
0: Uh, I have a play that was done in New York five years ago. It was off-Broadway. It's called The Irish
2: Curse. Red Nose, Little hose.
0: That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. For all the people who go, that doesn't what, – what are you talking about? I've never heard of that. Uh, oh, I did an interview for the show – for that show a couple years ago, and the guy who came in to take my picture, he said – what's the name of the play? The photographer went, what's the name of the play? And I said, the Irish curse. And he basically said that. Yeah. And, uh, right now I'm working on a, uh, British, as I said, I'm an Anglophile. It's a, it's a film version of a, uh, British book on tape called the land of sometimes it takes place in England in 1917 during world war one. And it's about uh, eight year old twins who, um, discovered they've made too many wishes and suddenly the man who uh, is in charge of wishes comes to them on Christmas Eve and takes them on this fantastic adventure. Wow. And uh, I just turned the first draft of that in last week. Wonderful. So, um,
2: yeah, it's cool. Okay. So, yeah. Well, uh, I this has not only been great for me in terms of two films that I love, but also normally it's an actor's perspective on these things. But to have your perspective not only as an actor but as an assistant – It's been great. I'm so glad we could do two episodes. Thank you so much, Martin.
0: Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure.
2: Thank you one more time to Martin Casella for those two wonderful interviews. And uh, once again to Matt Scott for connecting the two of us. Martin was a fantastic guest. He's the best type of guest to have. He comes in and just tells you stories. And like there was very little work I had to do. I do a lot of preparation, but I'd rather just roll off of whatever the guest is saying. And he certainly made it very easy for that to happen. So thank you, Martin. Next week for the final chapter of the Spielberg uh, <laughs> uh I'll have a different guest, an actor from uh, another Spielberg film. So please come back for that. And now it's on to a segment with uh, Jeremy Carter, a guy that I have known and loved for so many years, I can't even count him on one calculator. He's going to tell us about his pursuit of the perfect Indiana Jones jacket from company to company. And finally ending up with a very colorful character, both in wardrobe and language, as you will hear. And I think that's all that needs to be said. Thank you, Jeremy, for joining me for this in a new segment called... I Was There Too. Jeremy Carter, welcome to I Was There Too. It's been a long time coming. It sure has. Thanks for having me. Now, I think it's fair to say that Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my favorite movies of all time, if not up there in the top one or two. But I think you are probably even a bigger fan than I am. As you have James Bond, I have
1: Indiana Jones.
2: That's right. I would say that's... Uh, now, just for the listener to give us some reference here, how far do we go back friendship-wise?
1: Lordy B, I'd say we met in 95. and then That's 21
2: we... years ago. Yeah. Our friendship can drink.
1: And, and boy, does it. And boy, does it. And it's now dropping out of school. <laughs> so let's talk about the jacket that
2: Indiana Jones wears and your own personal pursuit as if it was the Ark of the Covenant itself. In some ways, the jacket, the perfect Indiana Jones jacket is your MacGuffin, right?
1: Yes, uh, for many, many years. It, it, that, I was trying to get the The jacket. The jacket. I'd wanted it since I saw the movie when I was, what, eight, nine?
2: You're not saying you want the one Harrison Ford wore. You're you want your own jacket, but that is accurate as possible. Correct. How many have you owned in your lifetime? <clears throat> six. Wow. I don't think even I knew that. Uh yeah, six. I think I had six. Good. Let's start with jacket number one. Tell us just a bit about it and then why you said
1: you're not the jacket for me. <laughs> Why we had to break up? Your six wives. Uh, My six wives. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was um, the Westhead Leather Company uh, said, we made the jackets for um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade, and a couple of ours may have been used in Temple of Doom. Then other people did research, people that worked in accounting in the film industry and stuff, and said, I don't think you guys did it, but they had been selling... For years. Trading on the
2: name of Raiders of the Lost Ark?
1: Right. Uh, He may have designed it and and brought the option. So I I really don't know. I cannot say definitively because, you know, it's one word against another and who knows. Yeah, and we're not looking
2: for fact checking on this. This is one man's pursuit of the perfect Indiana Jones jacket.
1: And that is correct.
2: They will write in. I'm sure. So you had already purchased that first jacket, and then heard a little bit like, "Oh, maybe this isn't the jacket," and you felt a little duped, betrayed. Explain uh, no, your emotions c- on that cold evening. <laughs> I
1: was, I was alone, naked, <laughs> wearing only the jacket and a pair of socks. <laughs> Mismatched, I believe. Um, it, the jacket was great. It was cowhide, which the ones in the movie are lamb skin. Yeah. Well, they're uh, right alone. You can't. You can't have it. Well, I wanted it to be durable. Okay. Not ever having owned a lambskin, I was like, I don't know if it'll tear or what. So I got the leather one, the cow one, uh, and it, the sleeves were just too short. Oh, so one that's... of the things I loved about Indiana Jones jacket is the way it draped, and the sleeves kind of went down past the body. And so I was like, ah, oh, the sleeves are too short. So I wore it for about a year, and then I gave it to my brother. Okay, so you you he still has that? Do you think he does? I just okay. saw it in August when I went home to visit.
2: Okay, so that's the Mark One, the Jeremy Jones Mark One. Correct. All right.
1: The the Mark Two was um, I sent them design specs because apparently people do that. Same company, same company. Okay. Not it, still this kind of internet dart throwing of I don't think they made the jacket. But and you're like, like you were happy with the work they did. I was fine with it. Okay. Uh, got another cowhide. It didn't, it was just, it was huge and it was <laughs> heavy and it was like a light Brown. And I was like, wait, what, what? It wasn't right. So, um, actually still have that one somewhere. And oh. the sleeves were way too long. Really?
2: Yeah. So that one's still in your possession.
1: Yes. Okay. The third one, I went with lambskin. Well, how long did you have that second one? Uh, just about eight or nine months. You you knew pretty quickly. I like, immediately. Yeah. All right.
2: This was a rebound jacket.
1: Yeah. It okay. Was. It was. All it right. was a touch and go. <laughs> uh, the third one was a uh, was a lambskin jacket. Uh, and Getting warmer now. It was bigger, and and I wore that. I still have that one too. I wore the shit
2: out of it. Would this be the one that I'm most familiar with? when you were wearing your Indiana Jones jackets, like we created the super ego podcast and like around the time of the heavy recording years, I remember you almost always in one of those jackets. Yes. Would it that have been was that the one. one? Okay. That was the one I right. still
1: have that one. It is worn through it. It has holes in it. It, it, yeah, it, I wore that a lot. Okay. Loved it. And then I lost a bunch of weight cause I got a divorce. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is that a metaphor or literal?
1: Uh, yes. Okay. I think that is just what happens when you go, Oh, Oh, I, Oh, wow. Things are very different. (laughs) Um, so then I got one when my son was born and that one was again, it was lamb but was that just
2: because the other one had kind of worn itself out?
1: Yeah. It and wasn't it was because huge.
2: Like, I had a son and everybody buys an Indiana Jones jacket when they get Right. Son. It was
1: like a ring on a tree. <laughs> so this is the Mark IV. This is the Mark IV. Okay. Also Westhead Leather Company.
2: Okay. Same company for these four, first four. Correct.
1: Okay. And it was lamb and it was a smaller size. So Is it lamb more expensive
2: better. or something? No, or? it's okay. just
1: kind of lighter. You I can see. wear it. In California, it's better. Okay. Cowhide's a little more warm, but, um, and then this, again, the sleeves weren't long enough. So I'd be driving Uh, and this frustrates me, but it bothered me. Yeah. Uh, and the, it was a lighter Brown. So I had that for a couple years and then, and then I got, what'd uh, you do with that one? That one, I, I still have that one. So you
2: have, you have three so far. I, you may have the other two as well, but you have at least the second, third and fourth
1: in my possession still. Still Okay. yes. All right. Um, and that one I wore for a couple of years. I wore it a lot. I went hiking in Kauai in it. I rode around- ATVs around where they filmed <clears throat> that, the beginning of Raiders. Oh, right. Okay. I was wearing that jacket. All right. It was great. I was living a dream. You baptized it? I mm-hmm. did. I, I didn't go into the, into the water because you can do the rope swing oh. in the river. Um, I didn't do that, but I certainly did soak through it on my humid hike (laughs) uh, where I got a nine-hour headache because I didn't pack enough Is that another metaphor? Yeah, (laughs) for lovemaking. The nine-hour headache. (laughs) By Neil Simon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I got one that was lambskin by a company called U.S. Wings, and it was something called Shrunken Lamb, and if you look – As the transfers of the movie have gotten better through the years from uh, DVD to Blu ray to digital and everything, uh, you can see that there's kind of like it's kind of like dinosaur skin, kind of pebbly in parts. And that's called shrunken lamb, I guess some companies call it. So I got that as a gift. That one is great. I still have it. I still wear it. It's the warmest of the ones I own. It's the most comfortable. And
2: this is the Mark V. And why? Was this company suddenly the ones making the successful Indiana Jones jackets? I have no idea. But but like people on forums were going to this place at this point. Oh yeah yeah okay. I
1: think um, I think they were bidding because they knew a new movie was coming. Ah, they were bidding for the new movie. This is
2: pre Crystal Skull.
1: Yes, okay. I ended up getting it after Crystal Skull, but uh, it's a really sturdy, solid jacket and made with like what they call military specs. So it's. Hmm. Lining is really nice and warm. Anyway, then then I had a little extra money in my pocket at the time. I'd been doing this show called The Hanging, and I went to uh, the guy who did make the movie Jacket. I just love that you give no context for the title of that show, and anybody
2: who doesn't live in California thinks you're part of some kind of ritualistic. Weird cult. <laughs> Weird ritual cult. <laughs> well, let's leave it at that.
1: Done. So the show, we'd do three shows a night, and then I'd be exhausted, and then I'd go, <laughs> work at Disneyland in the morning and for uh, two months I was in agony. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But um, this guy had made the jacket for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay. This guy, what was his name? His name was Tony Novak. Tony Novak. A great big gentleman uh, who uh, immigrated here from Poland Uh and arrived in Southern California around the same time as Arnold Schwarzenegger. And was good friends with Governor Schwarzenegger at the time. And apparently uh they went to church every Sunday together.
2: Sure. Schwarzenegger in church makes perfect sense.
1: Uh that's what he said. Seems now, like a devout holy man. This is what this this was the greatest adventure. <laughs> it was insane. Um, I, I, I wanted the guy to make a jacket and for me. And, and so he said, uh, well, I close here and damn. Okay. Well, I work till like midnight. He goes, you know what? Just come over to the shop after, uh, after your show at midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Okay. 1231 o'clock in the morning. All night leather goods. I show up and, and this place is great. I show up, and I'm greeted by this gigantic former bodybuilder in his 60s. Big gregarious personality, you know, and and uh, I go in, and I try on six or seven jackets, but they're, like, different colors. They're the Indiana Jones jacket. First of all, how did he get the contract to do Crystal Skull? Do you know? I don't. Okay. He had done movie jackets. Oh. Um, he did uh, a Bruce Willis movie jacket called The uh, Last Boy Scout. No, just took a shot. It was a good shot. <laughs> I appreciate it. Nowhere near the board, but a good shot. So, uh, I show up there, and he had done some movie contracts, he'd done uh, the, the some jackets for the, the third Terminator movie with Schwarzenegger and everything. Good one, uh, right? It was a good one. <laughs> Speaking of memorable, <laughs> um, so I go in and, and I try it on. He never measured me once, nothing. He just I sized just, you up, he just. Watch watch me go, "Eh, okay, try that one. Okay. I ended up being there till 5 o'clock in the morning just talking to him. I tried on one of Harrison Ford's jackets from Crystal Skull. I tried on one of uh, Shia LaBeouf's jackets because he made that one as well. I tried on one of Schwarzenegger's jackets from the third Terminator. I tried on the Bruce Willis jacket. I, I got to try on all these jackets. And in the meantime, I'm getting this sage advice maybe at one point I was, I was having trouble with a girlfriend at the time. And he goes, this is what he says. And you'll bleep this or do whatever. But he goes, ah, oh, it's very powerful. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. You <have> to be- <laughs> And you're telling me that fellow was friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it was amazing. He goes, God, you have to be very careful with it. And that, he just was dropping it like oh. like it was a, a just a simple adjective. <laughs> huh. So I'm just, I'm there until five o'clock in the morning. And then uh, uh, about five days later, I get a message. He goes, hey, Jeremy, you want to come pick this up? The voicemail. You've got to come pick this up, man. You've got to wear this thing. It's like, a. Hey. It's like a new girlfriend. You just want to be in it, you know? You just want to be there wearing it. And I show up, and I get the jacket, and it fits like a charm. And it still does. And it's made out of cowhide, but it's the Indian. It's perfect. Is this the one me. you wear to this day? I still wear that one, too. Okay. So I alternate between the
2: two. I see. I mean, you could almost literally have one for every day of the week. I but, could. So you got the
1: Tony Novak special, and that to you is probably your favorite. It's my, uh, yes. Uh, Also because there's so much. Yeah. English on it, I guess. (laughs) I don't know what else to, I remember meeting this guy because one time I came with you to like
2: an Indiana Jones thing on the queen Mary Correct. Yeah. He was there and I can vouch for what Jeremy's saying. There's something about his personality that exudes leather jacket maker.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, He, he pops up in the pumping iron documentary from the seventies. He's Big Tony. You see him for a second, but, but he's since passed away, right? He did. He passed away about uh, uh, I think six or seven months after he made after I met him. But way, way to go! He, I I have that effect on people. Uh, I, I am a life sucking energy. Uh, succubus is that the word? <laughs> yeah, the um, female version. Yeah, you're an incubus. No, I, I I'm oh. a succubus. Hello. Um, he. uh... Yeah, when we were at the Queen Mary, I remember he, I was wearing the jacket and I'm meeting people and we're talking and he grabs my shoulder and he just ta- starts taking me to each table to meet people. And I thought, boy, this guy's really connected. He really wants me to meet people. He's, this is all right. Hey, I, oh, he's showing off his work. That's- <laughs> <to> <laughs> <What sell>. is- <laughs> just for a split second. <laughs> I had that thought of, hey, You're- he really likes me. we were in. Oh. Well, next stop, Schwarzenegger,
2: <laughs> Capitol Hill. Wasn't he wearing like a motley patchwork, like motley colored patchwork leather jacket? Like I picture Vanilla Ice wearing in, in Cool as Ice. Like, yeah. It was multicolored. Like 91? Yeah.
1: Yes, because he made the Mr. Olympia uh, championship leather jackets, which were that, you know, if you look at the opening of Planet Hollywood, they're or all wearing in my those- closet. You have a pair of underwear like that, right? <laughs> you know it. Uh, it says Lakers <laughs> right across the groin. Um, it's uh, he made the, he made all those Planet Hollywood jackets. He made all uh, those Mr. Olympia jackets, and he just kind of he taught himself, and that's
2: well. Rest in peace, Tony Novak.
1: Yeah, and thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I could be there too. Well said. Getting quieter. I was there
2: too. Thank you, Jeremy. That's it for today's I Was There Too. Please follow I Was There Too on Twitter, at I Was There Too, or me, at Matt Gorley, on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Letterboxd is a place that you can check out which films are coming up next on this podcast, as well as answers to what theme song score was referenced in the opening theme of this episode. It's all there. Check it out at Matt Gorley on Letterboxd. If you can connect me to a guest, please email me at Iwasthere2pod at gmail.com. Best not to get me on Facebook or Twitter. I, I that Those are spotty at best. Email's the best way. Many appreciations for you, the listener, for doing just what your name implies listening. Thank you for that. And join me next episode when we finish up our spielberg Bye. Hop. Hop? Pop. Pop pop pop. Pop, 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 pop. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Goerly, and Paul Shear. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.